You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, brought to you in association with Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs. Getting noticed isn't always easy, because there's so much noise! But at Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, we make it easy. With standout signs, business cards, shop fronts, banners, leaflets, vehicle graphics, the lot. Showcasing your products, advertising your brand, and getting business noticed. So, what can we do for you? Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. rolls to the boys back to Kingsley curls the toys no, 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 no Kingsley magic hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club and in particular a certain Lawrence Shankland a player so determined to prove he doesn't just score penalties by now missing penalties but casually scoring belters with his weaker foot. Celtic, St Mirren, Hibernian, they've all been shanked of late and we'll be talking about a couple of those teams in this week's episode of the podcast. I am Laurie Dunsire and I'm delighted to be joined first of all by a man who is hopefully basking in the glory of the Dunbar end especially in the final few minutes of the Edinburgh Derby. Scott McIntosh. Natural order, get it up them. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. You were um you were in the best place for the game that we, we just watched last night at the time of recording behind the goal and uh, how were the limbs close up? Uh, the limbs were very good, yeah. What I would say is I had pretty much the best seat because if you get far enough over uh, in that south stand, you actually don't get to see the sort of moon howlers that sit in the east stand closest to the to that end <laughs> so you don't get to see them but you still get a good enough view of the game so perf- perfect seats perfect seats perfect seats some may say that our next guest had a perfect seat because he has a perfect view of the away end and also gets to see all the Hibs fans getting up off their seats and heading for the exits when Hearts got a late winning goal it was a man who was covering the game for Hearts standard we're also delighted to be joined by Joel Skid. Hello. Yes, I had to. Um, it was. It's probably the. I like to be very professional in the the press box, but it was probably the most I've celebrated a goal um, in the press box by constantly thumping my my legs with my fists as <laughs> uh, as, as the as the ball hit the back of the net, and then realised, oh, hold on, that's uh, a, a great scene, so I better quickly film it as well. Well, simultaneously watching um, watching the corporate corporate hips fans. Get up and leave. So it was just a, it was a combination of um, everything that is very enjoyable away from not being in that away stand. Plus your commentary, uh, Laurie, because that's the only thing I heard in the West Stand as well. You <laughs> screaming and going mental, which was uh, which was a nice uh, nice backdrop for for the moment. Yeah, I was going to say being professional in that in that press area. That's just one of my uh, skills. So I'll, I'll I'll give you some tips about. Keeping your composure in there in future. 
weren't you warned? Weren't you weren't you warned beforehand not to uh, not to stand up and uh, by uh, by someone? One of these guy cameramen behind me did um, ask if I would mind not jumping up. Um, but I did say I can't promise that I won't jump up before. But I think it's it's usually fine because it's generally second half if I get really animated because it's when it's a decisive goal and we're shooting to the Dunbar end and the cameras. And where we are, are generally then facing away from me, so I think it would probably more be a problem if um if it was a Hearts goal in the first half, and it, yeah, tend not to be quite as animated. But when it's a ninety third minute winner, you kind of lose all your all your composure. It's hard to hard That's to help. It's a perfect it. way to win a derby, so you cannot. It is. Can't it is. Some it. of it's and yeah, some of the the best moments in Edinburgh derbies have been after absolutely woeful games of football. You don't care if it if it ends the way it did, but we will get to that on this week's episode of Scarves Around the Funnel. Unfortunately, Mark Donaldson is not with us for this one. He is in New York just now with a family and couldn't get away to, to come on the podcast. I did send him the link anyway, just in case he decided to slink off somewhere. But um, no, no Mark Donaldson this week. So the three of us will chat about Hibernian against Heart and Midlothian. We will also touch on Hearts against St Mirren, the game that happened before that. Not too much detail on that one, but a little summary of that since we've had a couple of games since the last podcast. And we'll look ahead to Ross County and another couple of wee subjects that we might get to as well over the next hour or so. You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Right, first up, let's backtrack, rewind a little bit to the final game before Christmas for Hart Midlothian Hearts against St Mirren at Tynecastle Park. And very quickly, I'm going to play a little snippet from our final podcast before then. I'm expecting a 2-0 Hearts win. That was what I would take. And I'm, I'm, I'm riding the Shanklin train. I'm going to go 2-0 because I had that down as my... That was what I was going to go with in this. And I don't usually ride the Shanklin train. I usually like to try and throw someone else in there, but I'm gonna. So I'm. Uh, it's going to be carbon copy of Donaldson, which means Sorry. it's even less likely to happen. And of course, the reason I played that was because somehow, somehow, we got a prediction right. Mark and myself both went with an identical prediction: two nil Hearts and Shanklin to score, and finally. We got one right. I do. I do feel like when you add Shanklin as a goal scorer, you're, it's almost cheating. It's like you're basically trying to get the correct score. But we got that at least. So finally, spot on with that. But the big thing is, Hearts made it six home league wins in their last eight. A fairly controlled game against St Mirren. There was three changes for this one, which I want to quickly talk about, Scott. So Kingsley Grant and Forrest dropped out from the win against Celtic, and in came Halkett, Oda. And Mackay, a first start in almost a year for Craig Halkett after that injury on Christmas Eve last year. Um, Mackay and Oda coming in for a bit more attacking impetus from Hearts. What, what, did, what did you make of the change, seeing Halkett back in the defence, Barry Mackay starting again? How did you find that setup in the game against St Mirren? Yeah, I think overall it was a really sort of intriguing uh, sort of lineup that we put out there, uh, not just in terms of, of bringing back players who had been sort of out for a significant period, but also the way in which we we kind of set up. I think there was a a respect for how well Saint Mirren press, and I think we understood that 
it wasn't going to be a game where we could just try and get the ball out wide as quickly as we can. So they kind of almost had Cochrane and Atkinson taking more central positions and trying almost to overload the midfield. So it was, from a tactical standpoint, it was a really sort of interesting match to watch, even if there wasn't as as much goal mouth action as you would maybe want or expect for that type of fixture. But it's good to see Halkett back. Uh, really good to see Mackay back as well, because that area of the park has been something that we've you know we have been struggling for in, in terms of getting a bit of continuity and, and team selection and therefore it's been hard to sort of get confidence in, in, in some of our attacking players so so yeah uh, definitely good to see the, the squad pretty much back to full strength now and you, you can see that from last night's bench uh, we, we now have a, a plethora of options even if some of them are, are maybe needing to work on their, their confidence and their form just now Joel, what did you make of the the back three with Halkett in there? Because we obviously reshuffled it a little bit because we put Halkett in the centre and moved Frankie Kent to the right of it. Um, now, Stephen Naismith almost stumbled upon the, the back three of Kingsley right, Rolls left and Kent in the centre, but it's done so well. Hearts have been so solid defensively that it's been hard to kind of break that up. But it's um, an interesting problem to have, isn't it, now with Halkett back available? Yeah, it's an excellent problem to have, to have, and I mean, he's come back at the right time because you look a few weeks down the line, Kai Rolls is going to be away at the Asian Cup. He could miss up to six games, I think it was, uh, that he, if they get to the final, five games if you get to the semi-final, which you imagine or sure you would because of their position with him, uh, with, like within the Asian Cup and the expectation of them. So he naturally, it just naturally fits that you've got Kent Halkett and then Stephen Kingsley moves to the left centre back. So kind of look, looking medium term, there's uh, there's still a nice balance there. It's a good problem to have. I was I was really impressed with him. I thought there was there was one moment where he missed the ball uh, or he went to clear it and it went under him. But then the reaction or the response from his his teammates, both defenders and midfielders, was was excellent and they kind of recovered the situation. But other than that, he looked absolutely fine. There was a couple of moments where he had to. Having playing in the middle of the back, he had to kind of sweep over to his right, I think it was. I think it was right in the, uh, one half and then left and not the other. And had to make a kind of uh, challenge to stop Simmons and get into a dangerous position. He did that fine. He got uh, showed a bit of movement. I still probably think there's a wee bit more to come from him in terms of his uh, getting back up to his kind of full pace and uh, movement capabilities. But Everything there, everything we expect of Halkett, we know if Halkett was there, he was really aggressive. I think Ayunga um, uh, barely got a sniff just because Halkett played him so aggressively on the ball. I was really impressed. I've, I think he's, because he played in the same back three as Suter and Kingsley, I thought his ability on the ball was was underrated at the time. It, it wasn't really his job as that back three. He was there as a stopper. But I think he's he, he's... He's better than Frankie Kent on the ball, and I think he showed it with some of his, his passing. He, he wasn't tentative. Yeah. He was really aggressive with it, and he was playing it first time. He was basically just trusting his teammates, whether it was firing a ball in Atkinson or playing a Benny who was under under pressure. It was almost like I trust you to play, and this is how we um, this is how we want to play. And we're meant to play, so I'll, I'll give you the ball rather than taking one, two, three touches and then just going, you know what, stuff it, I'll knock it sideways to Kent or Rose or go back to go back to Clark. So 
yeah, I was really impressed with that. I think obviously Rowles likes having Halkett alongside him, likes having Kent alongside him. And then I thought Kent was absolutely fine as the right-sided centre-back as well. And no, that's probably, he probably refers to centre of the back three, but it was, I just thought it was a, a very um, positive and impressive dis- display, considering he played 90 minutes for the first time in um, over, well, around the year. Yeah, I think it was like 364 days since he'd started a match. In terms of the game itself, we'll mainly just really talk about the goals, I suppose, rather than a full match analysis. And no surprise, uh, the scorer, Lawrence Shanklin, for both of them, 33rd minute, poorly defended corner from St. Mirren. They probably should have got it clear through Mark O'Hara, but he's not been quite himself this season so far. And uh, Alex Cochran managed to rob the ball, clipped it to the back post. And there was Lawrence Shanklin with a stooping header. Um, keeper couldn't keep it out Zach Hemming despite getting two hands on it that gave Hearts the lead second goal though a, a moment of brilliance four minutes into the second half Lawrence Shanklin just almost nonchalant the way he hits it on the half volley in his left foot into the top corner after Barry Mackay attacked well down the left hand side and um, he's not getting an awful lot of opportunities from the spot we'll get to the the Hibs game soon, but Lawrence Shanklin with a couple of goals and a couple of very different goals, Scott, isn't it? He's got so much in his locker. We know we know he's not got much pace, but we know he can't play off the shoulder like that. But in terms of finishing, you know, right foot, left foot with his head, he's got such a range, doesn't he? Yeah, and I think you know, it it's I wouldn't say that these things are just coming to his game. I think it's just a, a reflection of how the team are playing as a whole just now. Uh, so, f- for example, you know, some of his headed goals this season, I know some people have maybe been taken aback by that, but I think he's always had that ability. If you look at some of the goals that he scored, even down in the lower leagues for Air United, I just think it's been a case where our set plays just haven't been good enough, unfortunately, uh, at the, the earlier stage of the season. I mean, the second goal is just pure instinct. Eh? I mean, he's 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 hitting that without really thinking about it, and he's he's got the confidence to take a swing at that way. He's, he's weaker foot as well, uh, so that's you know that's the level that he's at just now. And I think if you compare if you compare his body language and his sort of leadership now to where he maybe was around two or three months ago, which again I think you know when that was happening, I think we did say there was potentially mitigating circumstances where the uh, the birth of his child sort of during the summer, uh, there's definitely been a you know a difference uh, when you've been watching him, and again that's been reflected in his his goal scoring form you know since since sort of autumn. His his uh, the two week break so the the break he had when he didn't get called up for the Scotland team the first time around was massive. I think yeah. he, he saw him. He, he came back and he was he was just rejuvenated. He was refreshed. I think that having having a kid, uh, not had a kid, but I'm sure Laurie is able to, both of you is able to confirm that I would imagine it completely changes your dynamic. It can completely changes your routine, uh, what you're used to. And I think for a footballer, routine is massive in terms of training, in terms of nutrition, so, so in terms sleep. of rest. Yeah, sleep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all, all those things. So they're obviously going to have a knock-on effect. And going back to something you mentioned about his, his head and belt, he's, he's brilliant in there. And you go back to... I remember when Robbie Nielsen signed him and he talked about Shanklin's there, we're going to get crosses in the box and that's where Shanklin's going to thrive and I think that was the expectation but then just the way things changed 
and developed and then everyone saw just how good he was at, at the build-up play. But you go back, I think he's his debut for Dundee United where he scored, maybe scored four against Inverness or he certainly early on in his uh, career for Dundee United. Like all four of his goals were uh, headers from crosses or set, uh, set pieces. So he is... um. Okay, he might not be six foot two, six foot three, or, or like Kevin Kyle-esque, but he's he's fantastic in there. And yeah, I think Craig Gordon also had a bit of a, um, a bit of impact in his game when he had his most recent child when he was um, maybe not on his best run of form, you know, which is you know still probably a pretty good run of form for a yeah. goalkeeper. But he had a little bit of a drop off last season, and I know at that point he was also. Um, in a same similar situation as Shanklin, where yeah, your your nights are a bit sleepless, your routine's broken up, which will have an impact on anyone, whether you're working in office or you or you're a footballer. So I mean, Roy Keane would they accept that if you've seen Roy Keane's resp- famous response to <laughs> is it Robbie Keane? Maybe somebody's asking if Robbie Keane's going to be involved in a think in an Ireland squad, and he he basically says, well, you know, if if the kid's getting breastfed, I'm sure he'll be all right, kind of thing. So I I, I think you do have to. I think you do have to sort of give concessions to to any sort of breaking routine, whatever I mean, that fo- may be. Footballers are people, so yeah. whether it's the stress of having a child or whether they're, you know, you know, we spoke we've spoken about it kind of briefly before with Stephen Kingsley as well, who was going through quite a bit, and I think he maybe had some struggles coming back from injury, but we knew there were some things going on at home. You know, had some stuff going on with the family that. that that obviously put some stress on him and that could have affected his form. Don't know for sure, but I think it could be easy to be a factor. And yeah, I think sometimes people forget, you know, footballers are like anyone. If you've got distractions or stresses out of the game, that's going to affect you at your work, just like any of us three with what we do. So um, the good thing is, so Shankland seems to be himself again recently and got a couple of goals to give Hearts a win against St Mirren. And uh, keep them in third spot in the table, a couple of points ahead of Kilmarnock after that one, and put them in a very good position ahead of the Edinburgh Derby. Okay, let's move on to the next game, the big Edinburgh Derby after Christmas, 27th of December at Easter Road, Hibernian against Heart of Midlothian. We'll quickly have a listen back to the, the main moment from that one just now volleyed up the field now by the former St Johnson goalkeeper in his 50th appearance for Hearts tonight Shanklin challenging for it, he's got a little break of the ball here, Shanklin, left foot shot oh. goal! Shanklin's oh done it! Lawrence Shanklin to death! What a finish from the captain! He's had very little to work with, but yet again he doesn't need much to work with what a fine goal on his left foot it's been a drab dull affair in the second half but do those three and a half thousand Hearts fans in the Dunbar end care a jot? Of course they don't. It's Lawrence Shankland with goal number 16 of the season. And it's Hibernian nil, Hartem and Lothian one. I mean, where do we put his statue, Lawrence? I mean, seriously, what is that all about? It's just a long ball. He's battling away with Bashiri, making a pest of himself. Drops in, cuts in, and he's still got to put the top left hand bin. And does he? Does he? My goodness me, what a finish that is again. Look at that. Unbelievable. So that was me being very composed, of course, in the press box. Well, it was, Laurie, it was very, very impressive because I struggle <laughs> to get words out at the best of times, but to get words out after 
celebrating slash uh, seeing Shanklin score that goal and to do so without using expletives, uh, I, I doff my cap to you. <laughs> Almost uh, the, the one time I think I've said it in the podcast before when Liam Boyce scored a winner against Rangers, um, there's a point in the commentary I just shout and I just start going, Fah! and the, the start of it, it was the start of a word that b- begins with F and I think I was basically just going to say fucking yes. Um, <laughs> but I just managed to sort of drag the F out and then just continue talking about Liam Boyce. So saying Liam Boyce's name somehow started with a very prolonged F, which um, almost gave it away, but just about held it together. Um, before we get to the goal, let's uh, talk a bit about the game. Hearts going into this having not won in their last three against Hibs. It was all under Stephen Naismith, of course, but they had only lost one of their previous 12 derby matches. Um, and they'd won three of the last four away matches, but against the Hibs side, who, despite maybe being a bit up and down under Nick Montgomery, they were unbeaten in their last six home league games. So they had been very solid at Easter Road, if not spectacular at times. Uh, three changes again for Hearts. It was actually the same three that came in for the St Mirren game that dropped out. So Halkett, Oda, Mackay. Um, three coming in, Kingsley, Newenhoff and Forrest. So it was that 3-5-2 formation. Xander Clark making his 50th appearance in goals. Kingsley, Kent and Rolls reunited as the back three. Atkinson right, Cochrane left. A derby debut for boyhood Hearts fan Aidan Denham, who'd been excellent, we should say, in the game against St Mirren. Uh, Benny Beningame and Callum Newenhoff, the other two central midfielders, with Alan Forrest given the task of supporting Lawrence Shankland in attack. Uh, I'll start with you, Joel, on this one because we had a chat pre-game, and um, when we when we saw the team, we're kind of like, yeah, that's what we expected. We're we're maybe going to go with a more, let's say, cautious, but maybe a safer approach in how we set up with the three sort of naturally central midfield there's not really a creative ball playing option in there like we did against St Mirren so it was quite a a solid and um, not predictable but a, a safe setup, wasn't it from Stephen Naismith a, a team that you didn't think were going to concede or concede much goals in this game Yeah it, it just struck me as a team who would follow instruction just and not that not that the guys on the bench wouldn't wouldn't follow instruction but you know they're just the type of players that you uh, you can rely on trust who are going to give you a hundred percent effort and going to know their defensive respons- responsibilities they're going to be diligent they're going to keep they're going to press uh, cohesively they're going to and when it doesn't work out then they're, they're going to get into shape and make it difficult for Hibs to, to break them down. So, yeah, I wasn't... Usually, when predicting a Stephen Naismith lineup, I think you usually can get eight or nine, but there's always... always seems to be a wee curveball here or there, but no, I didn't think there was uh, there was any there. As the game progressed, it was maybe... Um, you could see... You can see the limitations of that eleven as the game progressed, and certain players within that, and certain profiles or qualities of players that the team lack in such a such a system. We were kind of anticipating a a fairly um, tight and maybe not the most entertaining spectacle of a derby, but Scott, the opening fifteen minutes um, suggested otherwise. It was. Quite a, a frantic opening quarter of an hour, wasn't it? Both sides um, 
attacked if, uh, not at will, but they got in behind their opponents and maybe suggested we were going to get quite a, an entertaining and open game. Yeah, I, I thought Alan Forrest in particular had a, a really good sort of opening half an hour. Uh, yeah. he, he was making some really sort of clever runs. I think Lewis Miller was was struggling for Hibbs in that sort of right back position. Uh, he was far too advanced at stages, and there was quite a quite a gap between him and Will Fish at times that that Forrest was doing quite a good job of exploiting. And I felt Cochrane was you know just playing some really sort of cute balls just in behind their their back line as well. And I think that sort of contributed to how the game sort of started in that opening 15-20 minutes, it was quite open. I think Stephen, to Stephen Naismith, he probably felt it was a bit too open. I think there was quite a few occasions where Hibs were doubling up on us, going down that left side with uh, Abita and Jair. And unfortunately, I think Denham takes a he takes an initial knock in the first few minutes and then a further knock towards the end of that half. And I, I don't think he really fully recovered from that. And he really he really struggled to kind of give Atkinson that that protection that he was needing. Uh, and I think Hibbs Hibbs probably threw us off a little bit with how wide they had their attacking players. I think they've been quite narrow in terms of midfield and up front during the last two games away from home. And I think there was maybe a an assumption that they would set up that way again uh, last night. So I, I think that all kind of led to that that sort of frantic opening 15, 20 minutes. Uh, you know, Hearts initially having the ascendancy, a couple of free kicks, a couple of set plays, looking quite bright. Then Hibs maybe after the 10, 11 minute mark then had a, a sort of 5, 10 minute spell themselves where they, they win the penalty and that. And then it sort of almost sort of calmed down or sort of died a little bit after that, that sort of initial uh, quarter of an hour. Looking at that opening quarter of an hour, we'll start in the third minute, throwing from the left from Hearts, from Cochrane into the box. Hibs eventually clear. Um, Hearts will then send it back. But about a minute after... Uh, the throw had initially come in, John Beaton stopped the game. Um, everyone's uh, a little bit bemused, I think, uh, in the stadium at that point, or most people anyway. Um, John Beaton is then told to review the screen by VAR, who is uh, Andrew Dallas for this one. And when we get a view of what happened, it's Rocky Bushiri challenging Ryan Kent in the box. It hits Bushiri on the left arm. Um, we certainly in commentary said he'll give a penalty here. What did you make of it, Joel? Because I think you said you you actually had a little you had a kind of eye on it as it happened, didn't you? Yeah, I just one of those. I was just fortunate to be looking right at the right at the situation, and as soon as I seen Bashiri's position of his hand, it's like if that if the balls hit him on his arm, then that's apparently. And I was so I wasn't surprised when he stopped it. Beaton came across the the monitor, and then and then gave it. I remember being at the. Uh, was it Clyde, Clydesdale House or wherever VAR is uh, yeah. earlier this this season when they were doing a uh, doing a thing for the press um, ahead of or just after the start of the new uh, new season and they talked about the handball and essentially basically if, if, for example if his arm was lower I think he could have got away with it but basically if the, the I think it was, it was actually John Bede he was there and he was saying that if your arm is like shoot out and like shoulder height or above, then the ball hits it. You're going to get penalised for it because I mean your hand shouldn't be where Bashiri's is. So I wasn't surprised in the slightest. If it got given against Hearts, I'd be like, 
I can understand exactly why it's been been given just because that's the that's how they are how they're carrying out that that rule um and then the face of fact is a throw in as well so it's not like it's been fired at them from two or three yards it's no. it's kind of looping throw in and I just don't think he's he's his arm should be there um and it goes back to kind of just in the build up to that where Scott mentioned the um, Forest and yeah, the, the the whole half was about getting Forest down in those positions, and that was that's where it came from. Whereas Lewis Miller was far too high; he always got dragged in by Newhoff and Cochrane just clipped the ball in behind Fish and Bashiri, and Bashiri had to come across and clear it for a throw, and that's where the penalty came from. So penalty to Hearts uh, given after the VAR review, and in the sixth minute, Lawrence Shanklin steps up fifteen. 15- Penalties scored from 15 before this one, but off the left post, and it felt like it galvanised Hibbs. We'll, we'll, we'll probably let him have the odd miss, won't we, Scott? I think he's he's probably done enough, and we'll get to what he, he does to make up for it later in the game. But even without factoring that in, you know, you, you can't score them all. No, no, definitely not. And, and to be fair to him, he's done what every you know good penalty taker does he's he's made his choice the day before i think when he gets interviewed after the match last night he talked about the fact that he'd been practicing penalties the day before he'd made his choice about where he was going to stick it even then but as he said he maybe doesn't quite connect with it the way he normally would uh, and you know you're only talking an inch or two it wasn't the worst penalty you'll see uh, and and like you say i think given you know, given the fact he's contributed to about ninety five percent of our goals over the last couple of months, <laughs> I think we can I think we can probably uh, forgive him for that. Yeah, well well own goal. That 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 strong hearts by own goal is just try to chase him down in the top scoring <laughs> charts. Um so that did it kinda of felt like the this is what happens, isn't it, with penalties when they don't go in, it almost galvanizes the other team and it did seem to galvanise the home support and that sort of emanated into the, the Hibs players a little bit and they attacked in the 14th minute in the left. Abita and Tavares combined. Cross from the left was deflected. Fell to Dylan Vente, the Hibs number nine, who has a shot towards goal uh, blocked by Kai Rolls. Um, this is one of these where I don't really think anyone was in any doubt. We were 100 yards away from it or so, Joel. But um, you could see very clearly straight away Kai Rolls' arm was up. And I, I think we all knew it was going to be a penalty kick. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just that was uh, it, it was weird because then after in the aftermath, Kai Rogues he got booked and then he was complaining to complaining to beaten and even I'm just thinking, what are you complaining about? Take it. <laughs> yeah, just 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 take the yellow. Just take the yellow. Yeah, it's a penalty and uh, and hope the hope for the best that Xander Clark saves it. Yeah, and it's one of those as well where I think I don't know if he's saved by the fact that Dylan Venter's shot is actually pretty rubbish. Yes, Xander Clark is. Probably going to save it. Save that, yeah. You know, if 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 Kai Rose is on the line there and there's no Xander Clark behind him and Dylan Vent is but shots clearly going into the back of the net, could have been a different story. But yellow card penalty given. Up steps Martin Boyle, and it's a good save by Xander Clark. So first of all, we got don't want to focus on hips too much now, but you know Martin Boyle when he came back, I'd say that you know I think. Myself and a lot of us would admit, we know that's a that's a good signing by Hibbs. He did terrifically there before. He's a very good player, but one goal in his last sixteen now for Martin Boyle, and um, obviously looking at him from a rival's perspective, he doesn't look the same player, does he, Scott? No, I, I think there's a few factors to throw into it. I, I think 
someone with his obvious sort of pace, it, it can it can be a bit of a challenge for these players when they get to a certain uh, stage of their career, and they maybe just lose that little edge or that little bit of sharpness. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure, and not with sounding too disparaging, I don't think he has much of a football brain. And I think he's had to rely on his pace quite a lot throughout his career. Now, I don't think that's the only thing that's hampering him just now. I think the system that Hibs are trying to play, they're not really getting the best out of him. You know, he's he's isolated up top quite a lot. They very rarely go from back to front. You know, seldom do you see them try that. So he's not really involved in games in the same way that he would be if he was playing out wide right, where he can sort of influence games a bit more. So I think there's one or two things that or factors at play here. But but yeah, that if you mix that in with the the injury challenges he had last season the sort of return hasn't really had the sort of impact that I think a lot of Hibs fans would have would have been hoping for and and ultimately when you look at the you, you know the the financial sort of output that goes towards Martin Boyle playing at Hibs it's really not yielding you know the the results or the benefits that anyone at the club would be wanting just now yeah and I think you made a good point before when we came in the podcast, we were talking about Shanklin. You talk about Martin Boyle, who, you know, was such a, you know, he may find it again, but, you know, he on form for Hibs, such a terrific player. And it was that raw pace to just burst away from defences, play off the shoulder, devastating in the Scottish Premiership. But you lose that pace and suddenly you lose your biggest threat. And I, I maybe, I can't believe I'm going to compare Martin Boyle to Fernando Torres, but I always remember mm-hmm. Fernando Torres when he came back from his injury and then Chelsea bought him for 50 million. He just didn't look the same player because he'd lost at half a yard and that was a big part of his game. Um, but we talk about Laurent Shankland. I'll, I'll compare him with Fernando Torres. Laurent Shankland, you know, doesn't have pace. If Laurent Shankland had pace, he'd be a 20 million plus player playing in a different country. would be anywhere near Heart and Midlothian, but he doesn't have any pace. It's one of his, um, one of the attributes he doesn't possess, but because he Remarkably say this, thank goodness. <laughs> thank goodness, because he wouldn't be at Hearts if he had pace. But, you know, he's got, he's got 18 months left in his contract. We know there'll be lots of talk about whether he'll stay, whether someone will come in for him. Hearts will make an effort to keep him. But it does it, it does give them something there that you can say you could, you could keep Lawrence Shanklin for five, six years, and if he stays fit, he's not going to suddenly lose, lose a half yard because he's not really got it. He, he does so well, doesn't he, without that side of his game. So he's got potential longevity in there if Summer Hearts did manage to secure him on a new deal. Yeah, you look at you look at his tra- the trajectory of his career as well. He's only got he's only got better with with age and experience. And I mean, you just go back to when he was when he was first signed. You had people uh, on one hand, you had people always oh, nothing more than a goal scorer, and then and then the other, you had folks looking at his goal return for Dun United in the Premiership and thinking, is he going to score the goals for Hearts when in fact? He is an incredible finisher, but his all-round play is, is incredible. He's really intelligent, and you look at it, if he was to sign a long-term deal and finish his career at Hearts, or spend, certainly spend the, um, the next kind of peak years at Hearts, that he, even if he's not going to be the n- number nine and score 20 to 30 goals a season, the, his intelligence, the way he plays, you can just easily just see him dropping into a number 10 role. Um, and kind of pulling the strings there, and then still probably scoring 10, 15 plus goals. Hopefully that continues. We shouldn't go past the penalty without talking mm. about Xander Clark. 
because fiftieth appearance and you know, although the criticism is always going to be directed at the penalty taker when they don't score, um, Scott, I, I thought it was a terrific save from Xander Clark. It's not a poor penalty from Martin. No, yeah, it's, it's it's low. It's got decent pace on it. You probably had a good view of it as well, didn't you? Yeah, no, it, was, it actually was a, a decent penalty. Uh, Xander Clark does really well, uh, you know. And again, I think similar to Shanklin making his mind up early, I think Clark sort of knows straight away where he's going to go. You know, if he even takes a split second, he's not getting down there quick enough. So he makes that decision pretty early on that he's going down to his right and he, he gets a good hand, a strong hand on it. And just as important as that, the players respond to it as well because a couple of Hibs players are quite quick to react to that. But I think there's Denham and maybe one or two others that managed to get really sort of vital blocks in there, which allows Forrest then to sort of clear the danger. But it was, a, it was a great save and you know what, fair play to him because I think we talked maybe two or three weeks ago with Mark after the the Rangers game at Tynecastle when we talked about that night, you know, Gordon being yeah. back in the dugout, fans cheering on Gordon and there seemed to be a, a bit of a... A, a sort of after effect on uh, a sort of side effect on Clark as a result of that he did look a bit nervy that evening uh, but to be fair to him you know that's three clean sheets in a row his handling's been really good and he's popped up with some really important saves as well So still nil nil at that point despite both sides having a penalty and from that point on the game maybe start to lack a little bit of quality so we get to the break with uh, the scoreline all square Hepburn and McDonald have been making creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. For more, visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk Half time, 0-0 at Easter Road in the Edinburgh Derby. Now, Joel, I want to talk about the changes at half time. The game had petered out a little bit after a frantic opening. Um, neither side really getting a grip of it. <laughs> Both teams really poor in distribution. It was so many passes getting given away by both Hearts and Hibs. And yeah, any sniff at goal seemed to be from the opposition gifting possession to the opponents. Um, change at halftime. So Barry Mackay comes on. Aidan Denham, who had been struggling, as Scott alluded to, goes off. And a change of shape. Now, talk us through how Hearts set up in that second half. Yeah, so they pushed... Alex Cochran was pushing in midfield. Naismith talked about it afterwards that he thought it was tremendous, which he was. And he kind of referenced when Cochran played against uh, Palk at Tynecastle playing in midfield, how he kind of got slaughtered for that decision. But basically just showed said that that, can, that performance against him showed how capable he is in the midfield. And the reason for the change was, as Scott talked about at this, uh, early on, in terms of Hibbs's threat down the left hand side where they had Obita and Tavares doubling up on um on Atkinson, a, a big kind of offshoot of the fact that when they were trying to build out, Aidan Denham wanted to press Joe Newell to stop him getting in possession, and then it allowed Marshall to clip a ball out to Obita, Tavares, and then you got a kind of two v one situation. I think that was an issue for issue for Hearts and Naismith felt they didn't get a, enough attacking threat down the uh, down the wide areas. So that was the that was the reason for the, the change. And did it work? Um, 
Yes, I know defensively it's it, it, it stopped Hibbs threat down the left hand side. A beat a very rarely supported Tavares. The only the only times Tavares managed to get a run at Atkinson was usually when Hearts gave the ball away and Hibbs countered with their pace. Attacking threat though, it kind of nullified Hearts a bit because, as Scott talked about, the Forest was such a threat with his really good runs down the left, behind the right hand side of the Hibs defence. Hearts didn't have that, so there was a couple of times where one, remember in particular, was when Benny won the ball and drove forward and played it through. And it was, it was kind of like Shanklin was always the one running on to passes. There was kind of no one else there, so it kind of nullified that threat. It meant Hibs, also meant Hibs centre-backs were given more comfortable possession because Hearts weren't pressing... Uh, as high or had as many numbers in there. And then you look at who was trying to support Shankland. It was often Neunhoff. And Neunhoff, there's no question about his work rate or his effort, his um, application. But there were so many times where he got the ball and he'd try and drive forward. He just didn't have the pace or uh, physicality to do so. Or he had the ball in certain areas and he just, just didn't have the, the quality. So it ended up with Shankland was a wee bit wee bit isolated and the Hearts attacking threat was non-existent at times. The only time really troubled was when Vargas ran at the hips defence and fired over and then Shankland later on with a left-footed shot into, into Marshall. So yeah, the sub kind of worked, but... The most probably disappointing aspect was how little Hearts threatened in the second half. And got the, the, the I did have the stats up there in terms of, um, and didn't actually get a shot on target till Alex Cochran sent one straight at Marshall with, I think it was about twelve minutes to go. Yeah, and I know. So so until until Shanklin shot off Marshall, um, I know it's not everyone's favourite um, metric, but. <sighs> <laughs> if you've got, you've got four uh, four shots, Barry McKay, Nathaniel Atkinson, Kenneth Vargas, Alex Cochran, their XG was 0 0.02, 0 0.02, 0 0.04, 0 0.04. So that's just, I, I kind of just wanted to bring that up just to show how little threat Hearts offered. Yeah, we're going to get to the key moment just to, uh, just a second. I don't want to focus too much on any negatives, but, you know, looking bigger picture and longer term, Scott, um, obviously if the game finishes in 92 minutes, which it doesn't, game game lasts a bit longer than that but if it did would you have some concerns there and do we still have some concerns about how we create chances how we break teams down and you know especially god forbid if we don't have a certain number nine in that side yeah there still is there still is a concern what i would say uh in, in defense of of the team from from last night is i, I thought we actually were quite neat and I thought we played some decent one and two touch stuff between defence and midfield. Absolutely. I think the problem is we've got such a confidence issue in the final third. Like Vargas, Oda, Tagawa, Lowry, you know, a, a mix of youth and, and sort of inexperienced players who have you know, uh, came into a, an unknown country and are maybe struggling to adapt. There's so many factors leading to us getting so little out of all these sort of talents that it, it really is difficult. And unfortunately, we're then having to put the onus on the likes of a, a Neuenhoff or, you know, maybe in previous months asking Cammy Devlin to play a slightly different role to what he's used to. <clears throat> 
I think we have to probably give the, the team the benefit of the doubt, you know. Uh, I, I think having Atkinson back from injury has, has actually helped. I think we have looked more dangerous. I think Atkinson is, you know, if, if, if there's one thing I'll always praise that Atkinson for, he'll always show for the ball and he'll always be really brave on the ball. Uh, Decision-making can sometimes be improved <laughs> upon, uh, but but yeah, definitely, you know, he's someone who gives you a good outlet down the right, and, and Cochrane, Cochran, uh, you know, uh, equally so down the left as well. But I did feel last night in the second half, I, I think Joel's right, I think losing Forrest uh, up top definitely gave us <clears throat> fewer options to go back to front. Uh, so we didn't quite have any outlet to sort of hit them on the break with, which meant that when we were sitting a bit deeper, you kind of felt as if we weren't really getting far enough up the park before losing possession. Uh, but I did feel that we had greater control in the second half of the ball without, you know, being overly threatening. I think the only, the only sort of incident I can recall is the one where Kingsley sort of plays the ball across the goal. It's a really good ball, but unfortunately Shankland's maybe two yards further back. Vargas isn't quite playing, you know, back post either. Uh, that was probably the, the best chance we had sort of leading up to the, you know, the last 10 minutes or so. I, I do agree with the, the, the first, sort of the first, for 75 minutes, I thought, well, didn't create enough. It was one of those situations where we had, the possession we had, it didn't translate into chances or clear cut chances, which is which has been an issue this this season. And it's the it's probably the it's, this is probably the last area where you look at the progress the team's made in so many different areas under Naismith. It's probably the last area that needs to um, needs to make a, an improvement in. And then when that's an improvement is, it's, it's going to be a very very good team. But for seventy five minutes, the like Scott said, there was a real composure and confidence throughout the team in terms of the defensive and middle third like the defenders Kent and Rose especially very confident on the ball very composed would happily play into Benny and Alex Cochran they would take care of the ball there was some really nice kind of like the, the, the triangles and keeping the ball but it was at that time where it's all well keeping the ball but then just that switch to go right let's go forward and penetrate hips and that's that's just where that's just where hearts lacked and it's, it has been an issue uh, in games this this season but it's just it's kind of probably, that's probably the next the next stepping stone for this side we won't focus too much on no, 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 no. The, the negatives because we all had something to, to enjoy and I have to say I had a bit of schadenfreude today when I was having a wee look on Hibs.net and <laughs> um, despite the game maybe not being the best, despite Hearts not being that good and Hibs not being that great, um, when you see a, a thread title just I hate Hibs on um, Hibs.net, you know it's been one of those and one of them, one of the posts in there just said, I hate the Derby. How many times must we be left scunnered by that lot? It's like we are cursed. It's so, it's so, so good. It's, uh, it's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, great just... value, eh? Like, uh, uh, right, this is the best bit of footage I've seen for like fans uh, after last night. So there's a Hibs channel, I think it's called Fam TV, and it's these two Hibs fans, and they're actually sitting in a car like talking about how we're the scum of the earth 
but the light goes out in the car every few seconds, so they're constantly having to switch the car light. From a production standpoint, and from, you know, just the, the language they use, and the way that they discuss the game, it's actually well worth looking out. I'll, uh, I'll try and find the link for it, and I'll put it up on the, the Twitter page later on, uh, because it, it was hilarious, like, just hearing these guys, and it's, it is, it's that PTSD kicking in on them, because they've, yeah. they've been here before. I think somebody <laughs> put up a stat that They've only won one of their last eight or nine home derbies against us. And I think under Stubbs and Lennon, they'd maybe won four or five in a row. So I think they had that little spell where they felt that the tide had turned. And nope. now they feel like they're <laughs> slipping back towards, you know, 80s and 90s, where I think they've beaten us once this decade so far. So, yeah, I, I can certainly understand how, how they'd feel that way, because I think Montgomery coming in, and the initial problems that we were having in terms of those teething problems with Naismith at the start of the season, I think, again, they felt like there was a, a chance that by the time they got us at this stage, we would be struggling, they'd be in a good bit of form, and that would be their opportunity to sort of, uh, you know, give us a bit of a scalping, so to speak. It's, but, it's, a, men it's a mentality thing, because you look at, like, that's Lenin, so yeah, Stubbs, I think, managed to do it to an extent, and then Lenin came in and basically... He 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 made the point that he thought hips were hips were soft. Uh, that's called him a boy was, band, didn't he? Did he? Yeah, but, was it Lennon that referred to them as a boy band? Yeah, so he was basically aye. just it was like the um, I I don't know if he was kind of uh, comparing to like Liverpool, the Spice Boys, like they'd um, they just they kind of never never make that next step. But that's it's, it's a mentality thing, and it's, it's one of those where I seen um, I think maybe Maroon Tinted Spectals who or Specs who read uh, quote tweeted it, and it was a hips fan saying. Uh, replied to someone oh. saying they treat it as their cup final. Yes. Is, of course we do. Of course we treat uh, every Hibs game as a cup final because, I mean, you don't get cup finals every single year and it's there's, the derbies are your biggest match of the year. Treat them as a cup final. That's I think that's the biggest difference is that Hearts and Hearts fans, they put so much stock yeah. into the derbies. The derbies are so important, as they should be. They're the biggest, like I said, biggest game of the season and Hearts go into it with, uh, with an expectation Hibs go into it with a fear. I think that's that's kind of the general the general feeling. Uh, I'm not saying that for for every single fan, but that's the general uh, feeling amongst the two clubs that there's an expectation at Hearts to win the derbies. Whereas at Hibs, like said, it's just um, the way the way Hibs fans talk about it. They just there's kind of almost ex um, their expectation is the worst is going to happen. Whereas the expectation of Hearts is we must win. Yeah, I mean that's why now if you include all. Competitive games in all competitions, Hearts have won 15 more derbies than Hibs at Easter Road. So um, if the, if there's no cup draws between the sides, if it was just league games and they play each other twice, it would still take... Hibs would have to win every single derby for, what, seven and a half years at least at home to just level with us in terms of their games at their own stadium. So I think that sums up there. But we'll, we'll talk about the goal because at this point in the game... It really felt like Hearts had almost settled it at nil-nil, and you know, it sounds terrible, embarrassing almost to say now, but wasn't a terrible result in my eyes, given where we are on the table, but a simple ball at the park from Sander Clark, long into the Hibs half, and Shanklin's up against Bushiri. He's obviously not really going to win a header ahead of him, but Bushiri does what Bushiri seems to do sometimes, which is completely fluff his lines, Shanklin gets a little break of the ball, gets away from him but he's got a lot of work to do and he, he uses Wilfish really well because he bends the ball around him 
um, uses him a bit of a blocker and picks out the top corner. And I think I, I mentioned in commentary, in a game that was almost devoid of quality, it was that one moment of quality to decide it. And it's just, it is a thing of beauty when you see a goal, not, not just a terrific goal like that, but it's in front of the Dunbar end. And it's just a magical moment. And as I said before the before the game, it's, you debate whether Scott's in the better position than than Joel and myself because Scott's in amongst it when it happens, but we get to see it. So we've got that side of it. But just a perfect, perfect moment. And suddenly, it doesn't matter what happened in the ninety two minutes before it. And I remember, you know, one of my favourite derbies of all time. Hearts were rotten for eighty five minutes of it, but I'll never forget Phil Stamp cracking in the winning goal in the last minute and me ended up on some advertising boards and covered in bruises and didn't even know that Phil Stamp had been sent off till about half an hour later. Um, so when it comes to the derby, Joel, Scott, whoever was to jump in, it doesn't matter, does it? It's all about the result and I think that's why sometimes maybe Hearts have got the edge here because it's all about finding a way to win in these games and then everything else just falls falls by the wayside, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just that. Who who cares how you play with within the derby? Goes out the window, no matter what, just win the game. And it's as simple as that. Just win. That's all that matters. So it's a fantastic goal by Lawrence Shankland. A, a brilliant strike. Um, worthy of winning any game. And uh, it now puts him on 16, of course, for the season. And now 44 goals in 73 games for Hearts. Overall, so terrific return. Obviously, the um, the rumours will continue to fly around. Whatever happens, eighteen months left in his contract, but January coming on the window. Now, something that Ryan McGowan mentioned. He's not made it to the podcast this week, but he mentioned to us previous to this. It's earlier today. Shankland and Rudy Scatchel. He asked the question: Is Shankland getting to to Rudy Scatchel territory now? For Hearts, so in, ter- in terms of the numbers, forty-four goals in seventy-three games. It's a, it's a goal every one point six six games. Albeit, Lawrence Shankland is a striker. Rudy Scatchel was obviously um, more of an attacking midfielder. Rudy himself got forty-eight goals in one hundred and nine games across two spells. A goal every two point two seven matches. However, of course, two cup final wins, goals in both those cup finals, adds to it. Um, Scott, where are you on this one? I, I, I'm very much, and I said this to to Ryan when it came up, I'm very much, until he's, I think, won a trophy, it's hard to compare the two of them. Because Rudy Scatchel, not only his goals and the fact he did it from midfield, but to lead Hearts in two cup finals, and by leading them I mean scoring in both of them, two in one of them and one in the other, and helping them win both those cup finals. I think that's a hard hard bar to compete with, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I think... I think you've got to consider that as part of the argument. I think something else which we're not going to know about for maybe, say, another <clears throat> six months, 18 months, or hopefully, fingers crossed, four or five years, is how, how he exits the club. Because I think yeah. that can, as we've seen with certain people that we won't name, that can sometimes tarnish one's reputation as well in the long <laughs> term. I, I think with Scatchel, you've kind of almost got to break up the, the two spells. So I think if you're comparing... Scatchel and Shankland in terms of his 05, 06 and then potentially maybe putting that in with the 10-11 season 
Skatchel was a talisman, but I don't think he was the sole talisman of the mm-hmm. squad. I think during those two seasons, there was other contributors. You know, the 0506, you, you could name another five or six players that were just as influential or more than, than Skatchel. Skatchel actually drops way off yeah. uh, form-wise after about sort of beginning mid-January. You know, he, he really struggles and doesn't contribute much up until the, the cup final itself with that goal. I think 10-11 as, as well, it was a, a sort of mix. You had that sort of forward four of him, Kyle, Elliot and Templeton who all mixed well together uh, sort of during that run that we had over the sort of autumn Christmas spell. I think 11-12 though, that is probably where he is like Shanklin now, the, the, the sole talisman of the squad in terms of contributing not just goals but important goals. I mean, he scored five goals in that Scottish Cup run that year and I think that's why like you were mentioning Ryan in the, the chat he probably still gets the, the nod over Shankland I think for Shankland he's not had that sort of run yet uh, or, or the opportunity to provide that yet so I, I still think there's time for Shankland to surpass Scatchel but I'd say just now Scatchel probably still gets the nod for me So yeah I think Rudy gets a nod for me just because of his Scottish Cup wins and his impact in those wins. I also have to look at the 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 relationship he had with the, uh, the fans, and he really was just one of those those players that Tyne Castle it, it just put, pulling on the maroon shirt that just it just turned him into a different player and a, a kind of different uh, personality than when you compare him his, his career elsewhere because he never really had the success he didn't have the success anywhere else than he, he did at Hearts I think Lauren Shanklin's a better footballer I think Lauren Shanklin's uh, has more to his game than than Rudy because you look at uh, look at Skatchewan you, you, you speak to people who who played with him or uh, trained with him and he's like he, he would <laughs> His he would he was quite a um and, and I mean this in a good way a selfish pick, player. It's good to say you try to pick your words carefully. Yeah, yeah he's <laughs> but in a good in, in a I good mean, way he was he was, he was lazy at times. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. I mean, you can it. say it because he got away with it because he, he exactly. would still crack one in from thirty yards. But he, exactly, he he's he's only he's only player that I've ever gone to Tynecastle early to watch warm up just because his shooting practice was class. I was just watching like. He just leather at his left foot, go, 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 and he knew he would translate that to uh, the game. He's watching Shanklin, I think Shanklin's my favourite. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think who's um, Shanklin at, at the moment, and certainly the last number of years. Shanklin's by far my favourite Hearts player to watch, just because of the way, okay, maybe not last night because I think he, he admitted himself he had a poor game, but yeah. the way he takes the ball in, the way he controls it, the way he links play, how intelligent, he's, intelligent he is, his awareness and then when he gets in front of goal, he just he, he just got that, he's just got that um, when he's in the team you just know anything can happen, like last night was a perfect example of you knew he was having a terrible game, but you'd never say something really. You would never take them off because you know it just needed one moment, and he can he can provide that. So I think Shankland, in terms of his influence, certainly this season, is more more than Scatchel in these these first two boys. He's, he's the his first spell, and then the first season, his second spell. And like Scott said, he was the he was he was a talisman for his his third season with Hearts, and that's what 
That's what essentially Shankland has been the last two seasons. So Shankland, better player than Rudy, but he needs to... I mean, winning two cups, scoring two uh, Scottish so, Cup finals, including a double against Hibs and a 5-1 win. It's very, very, very hard so, to top that. So let's, let's put a scenario. So say Shankland stays to the end of the season, scores, similar to last season, scores 30-odd goals in the campaign, and captain's hearts to a Scottish Cup win and then leaves in the summer for not as much as maybe we're wanting right now but he leaves in the summer for a decent seven figure fee if that happens would he have eclipsed Skatchel? I still think that's a tough one because part of Skatchel's special relationship with the fans is even things that he'd done after he left the club he gets the 51 jersey at Dundee United. He's literally <laughs> taken a lappy honour for Hearts fans whilst losing a game for Dundee United at Tidecastle, which pisses off the United fans. He then gives a 5-1 salute to Hibs fans as he comes off the pitch in a Rafe Rovers jersey. You know... Okay, we beat Hibs 4-0 in the cup final at the end of this season and Shankland's new club, he gets the number 40 shirt. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's one of those things. I think we're... If Shankland gets a cup for us, he makes us one or two million and he goes down south or he goes abroad, that's fine. I think ultimately, no matter how well he leaves us, if he was to sign for one of the old firm, that then taints the, the relationship. To a, to a small degree. Like there, there have been players that have moved for Hearts to Celtic. I think Hartley's probably the best example. He's someone who sort of managed to maintain that relationship with the Hearts fans even after he left. But, but he yeah, there's there's so much about Rudy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's so much about Rudy that that's like it's not just about what he done on the park. It's yeah. just it's just about his character and and, yeah. and the fact that he comes from from abroad as well. I, I think that always sort of adds a little bit to the the sort of myth and the. This the sort of romance of it all. Okay, fair. Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll maybe uh, revisit this question again. But if you do want to let us know what your thoughts are on Rudy and Shankland, you know, do feel free to to get in touch. Okay, before we move on from um, the Derby game in general, I've, I got some feedback from Twitter about how people are feeling after the game. So this was in terms of uh, the match itself. And um, the Shankland value, and also how people are feeling about Stephen Naismith. So I'm going to go through some of these now. Um, Alistair Dobby says Shankland is worth more than any transfer fee. Naismith, I was dead against for a long time, but he's turned me in recent weeks. The derby was terrible to watch, and then just magnificent. Um, Claudio Berbeche says uh, could have won comfortably had we played a more attacking team. Hibs were so poor at the back. Um, if we won't be able to convince Shanks to stay, we shouldn't let him go for less than £4 million. And in terms of Naismith, he said he's getting great results at the moment, but our play can still improve, which I think we've we've spoken about. And I think he's actually admitted that himself as well. Um, Connor Radish says, the game clearly demonstrates that having um, Lawrence Shanklin for the remainder of his contract is worth more to us than what teams are realistically going to pay. We have him at his peak. He's already paid back his transfer fee with interest. He can go for free with our thanks in 18 months 
Fraser Pearman says after the first 50 minutes the game was terrible both teams giving possession away constantly but we never looked like conceding final ball let us down going forward however Shankland was a difference again he's worth 5 million easy and Naismith is the man um, Matty JK says <laughs> Shanks is worth 100 billion pounds maybe more um uh, and he says he thinks Naismith has turned it around um, for him as well. Six away wins, including Celtic Park and Easter Road. Clean sheets galore. Brian Martin says, typical derby, occasional breakout football with not much quality on show. Thought we edged it, maybe, and definitely with quality. Um, moment from Shanks. Club must put out no discussion unless eight figures for Shanks. Like him with <laughs> Naismith is building, and he deserves credit too. Gavin Wallace, let's be honest, it was devoid of any quality bar one moment, and that's quite simply why he's absolutely priceless. Under no circumstances should he be sold in January. Third place is worth a minimum of five million. Get that, and if we get a decent offer in the summer, then we can look at it. Um, looking to see if there's any other thoughts on Naismith. Uh, Graham said, uh, Nasey started to turn my opinion after Celtic, and he's definitely done it now. Well done to Naismith. Jordan says, I've always been Naysian. Can't argue with the league position and results of late. There is more to come from him and his squad. Um, so, yeah, I think on the whole, looking through it, most people either saying they were Naismith in or they very much changed their opinion. You know, the, the results, certainly seven wins in the last nine, don't lie. We've got two good games coming up. How, how do you feel, Scott? Because we've, we've, we've not had our feelings on this podcast a few times. All of us have been... Um, uh, pessimistic at times about his current tenure but can't really argue with where we are at the moment. Yes, it's an ever-evolving discussion, isn't it? And it sort of takes these uh, these nice twists. I think you can definitely say there have been nice twists over the, the last few weeks. I, I think from a, a personal standpoint, <clears throat> I was trying to compare how I've sort of uh, responded to, to Stephen Naismith's first few months and I've tried to compare it to when Craig Levine uh, sort of came back and took the reins in, in 2017 after we, we let Ian Caffrey go and there was a sort of spell during those initial months where I think we were undefeated uh, over a, a certain number of games we kept I want to say it was like seven clean sheets in a row or something like that. and But we were winning games 1-0 or drawing 0-0 sort of thing. And and I think I made a point of defending Craig Levine at that time when others were maybe uh, bemoaning the, the style of football because my defence was, well, what do you do when you come into a football club? You build from the back. So if you get things sorted at the back, that should then buy you time to get things sorted up front. Now, I think where I've struggled with that with Naismith during the first two or three months specifically, there's probably been a bit of petulance at my end because I've been probably sort of cynical of the motives of the board and hire them in the first place. So that's not Stephen Naismith's fault, and I think we've alluded to that sort of previously, but unfortunately, it is a stick that he will get beaten with when it comes to results and style of play. I think the other sort of side of it, which I have to sort of take accountability for, is I've probably looked at Stephen Naismith and just wanted to focus on the attacking side because I think that's what we were all assuming was going to change dramatically when he was given the job. And I think we probably haven't given him the uh, the credit that he should have got probably a couple of months prior to this for just how well 
we've defended as a unit from the start of the season. Like, even if you look at games where, <clears throat> you know, 0-0 at home to Kilmarnock, or even when we lost 1-0 away to Dundee, when we lost goals, we were losing them by and large due to individual errors. It wasn't because there was an issue with the shape or the, the you know, the, the, the defensive style of the team. Uh, yeah, I think he's admitted himself that there's still a lot that needs to be improved upon in terms of when we've got the bulky possession and when we're trying to, you know, penetrate and break the line through that final third. But to me, he has done more than enough to, to, to you know, grant him the remainder of the season to see whether he can build on it or whether it, it remains to be a, a challenge, uh, you know, for the remainder of the season. Joel, in terms of where we are just now, you know, it's, it's not a bad position to be in. You know, we've we've highlighted and and Naismith himself has has talked about it that there is work to be done here. We know that we need more in an attacking sense, but we've built such a solid foundation that it's almost um, it is like and Scott's alluding to it as well in terms of Levine and his defensive side of things. It's a very good foundation to be working from, isn't it? Going into January, having the option to maybe look at some more players and potentially build and hopefully progress this team because you know there is potentially more levels that he can take the team and and hopefully we see some more attacking football but it's only positive where we are just now yeah and massively and i think james Rockpiece on heart standards uh will be wednesday wednesday went up and it was it was very very positive towards uh towards naismith and what he's done and it's <laughs> It's not. It was an article to say that everything's everything's perfect. Naismith would be the first ones to say it's not perfect. But what what kind of details is, and what kind of like detailed over the last few weeks, and is that there's been so much progress in certain uh, in, in certain areas where you look at clean sheets, uh, ten clean sheets after uh, in the first nineteen games. The when you look at this two back to back third places under Levine in both seasons had 11 clean sheets the most clean sheets of the season we'd had this 17 so that's a potential um kind of record that that since the the change of 38 game season so that's something that's within the, the team site away form has dramatically improved i think we've won as many or more away games than in the top flight than 21 of the last 29 seasons and again it's it's only it's only the end of the end of december so there's another area that's that's improved defensively it's been so much better than the than last season i think we even the season we finished third we gave up a lot of shots and i just think structurally uh the way the team go about the businesses is is, is, is very good so there's just winning at celtic winning at hibs there's been loads of wee things where you're thinking that this is a team going in the right direction. And I think maybe Naismith probably not helped himself with the like the comments when he first took over about how he wants to to play football. So straight away, people are looking at like, well, you've promised us attacking football, but it's, it's not been delivered. And I think over time, the first couple of months, first few months of his reign, that that Celtic game where we got beat 4-1 at home has been quite transformative and that we've probably been a wee bit more pragmatic since then, given us a foundation, a platform to build on. Like you said, we've gone in these two next games, you're looking, should be, considering what's gone on before, six points and you're in a great position going into the winter break. And that's the thing, it's still a work on pro uh, progress. This isn't a perfect Hearts team, but 
there's so many areas where so many big strides have been made, and it's it's a, it's a big thing that I think Scott's mentioned uh, mentioned and rightly so a few times, and that you look at the players that have have shown promise to begin with, then regressed. But they're starting to show promise again, like Rowles, Cochrane, Atkinson. I think three players who have come on leaps and bounds under under Naismith. So yeah, it's it's a really exciting time. <laughs> really conscious to uh, uh, conscious not to get too carried away because Ross Kenny around the corner. You just know the uh, heart of a Lovian-esque <laughs> banana skin is, is is waiting for us. But two games that are very winnable, and it's be a great position to be in the winter break to look at the squad, assess the squad and then hit the ground running when you come back and you just think that you're just hoping that what you've seen over the last two months, that this is a Hearts team that have still got so many levels to reach and the everything that's gone over, on these past two months and the, the, the progress that's been made that you've got confidence in Naismith and the team to actually reach those levels Yep, all positive and that's a, a perfect mention of Ross County coming up and it gives us a chance to move on. You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. We're almost out of time on this week's episode but of course before we go we will look ahead to the next match for Hearts which comes at the weekend on Saturday the final game of 2023 Hearts at home to Ross County in the Cinch Premiership. Three wins in a row for Hearts going into this one against a county team who were without a win in their last six away from home. Hearts are also unbeaten in 13 against the Staggies and the last time that the Highlanders came to Tynecastle, we saw possibly the, the finest display of, of Stephen Naismith's attacking football when Hearts won 6-1 and it could easily have been more than that. Scott, are we going to get something similar to that or maybe maybe a bit more of a conservative victory this time around? Yeah, I think evidence probably suggests that uh, it's going to be more conservative than that fixture. I do think, <clears throat> given the, the sort of quick turnaround in, in fixtures at this time of year and given the choices that we now have on the bench, there is the, the option uh, or, or the encouragement there for, for Naismith to potentially look at making two or three changes, particularly in the, the sort of final third midfield areas on Saturday. There's a bit of me that would really like to see. I'm just wondering just now Thank whether you. we go a bit narrow and play Mackay and Lowry behind Shankland. There's a bit of me that would quite like to see just how much havoc they could cause playing in sort of free roles, particularly in a game where we're going to have the bulky possession. Uh, and looking at how Ross County have set up since Adams has came in, they seem to have sort of favoured a, a sort of three four one two themselves. I'm just wondering if maybe we should go a bit more narrow in that that sort of attacking third and, and just sort of let Cochrane and Atkinson provide the width out there. So I'm I'm sort of hopeful we could maybe get a, a two or three nil on Saturday. Who would yeah. you play alongside would you go Benny and Denham? I would go Benny and Denham. Uh, if Denham's fit, I would definitely go with Denham, just because he gives you a bit more impetus going forward. Uh, I think he has that sort of Devlin-esque, sort of infectious, sort of uh, 
impact on the crowd and, and potentially on the team as well. Uh, but he's maybe just got a little bit more ability. Uh, his feet as well. He can sort of keep the ball a little bit better. Uh, Neuenhoff, I thought, he did come on to a game last night in the second half. I thought he looked more comfortable second half compared to first, but I, I don't know. I think the jury's still out there on Neuenhoff in terms of is he really bringing anything to the table that Denham, Devlin, Benny, any or other eight or nine central midfielders can't. <laughs> uh, so I, I would be inclined to maybe be a bit more adventurous and, and maybe look at... I'm pretty sure it was the Partick Thistle game where they maybe went with Mackay and Lowry sort of playing narrow that day. And I'd quite like to see it again just just to see uh, if that would maybe offer a few more opportunities for Shankland without him having to sort of drop so deep. I'm going to go bold. I'm going to say we're going to win. We're going to mix up the team a little bit, but we're going to win. We're going to be comfortable. And I'm I'm, I'm feeling overly confident after getting my scoreline and goal scorer correct for the St Mirren game. I'm going to go 3-0 to Hearts and I'm going to throw in Kioske Tagawa to get on the score sheet. He's not going to, probably won't start, but I think you know we're in a good position. He'll come on and maybe grab the third goal. What do you think, Joel? <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm not going to be as ambitious as you. I think we're just going to go straight forward two 0 Alan Forrest to score. Whether that's off the bat, I don't think. I don't think he'll start because Naismith does. Like I said, he, he, like he has said, he likes to make changes game to game, and I just think Forrest is shown. He's one of those players who I think when he comes off the bench, he looks he looks even better just because he adds more energy. He comes on, he's direct. So I think yeah, one 0 he'll come off the bench and add a second. What do you think, Scott? You're gonna you said maybe a two or three 0 Are you? Are you yeah, gonna I'm gonna more conservative approach. Or? I'm gonna stick with two, and I'm gonna go with oh, Frankie Kent's gonna get one sooner or later. Let's go with Frankie Kent. Like it? Okay. Couple of two nils, three nil in there. Um, whatever happens, we will be back next week to discuss that and the Livingston game, which comes after it. I think well, we won't predict that one. We never like to predict two games in a row because we don't know what might happen in the game prior to it. Um, for everyone who tunes in, have a, a very happy new year. We hope you have an enjoyable Hogmanay, and hopefully that you're bringing the bells in after another Hearts victory and maybe after hundreds and hundreds of goals I did like Lawrence Shankland um, <laughs> with an Instagram reference hundreds and hundreds of pictures an Instagram reference to one of his own tweets from a wee while ago um, if you don't know what I'm talking about then look it up it's, uh, it's he's, he's good banter as well as being good in front of goal so um, Shankland the hero yet again can't score from 12 yards useless at penalties isn't he but Wonderful on his weaker foot curling into the top corner. What a player. And the Derby curse continues for Hibernian and his hearts emerge victorious yet again. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. You can get in touch with us if you wish to via Twitter on at Around the Funnel or you can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk Until next time, goodbye and Happy New Year. This is my Shanklin, left foot shot! Oh. Goal! Shanklin's oh done it! Lawrence Shanklin to death! 
What a finish for the captain! Wish I could freeze this